Welcome to the podcast. It is Live Transformed. Glad you're with us. We're episode number 250. We have we have Jim, Bob, and me ready mm. to talk about the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We are excited about our day and thankful for you and your journey and the fact that you yeah. do this with us. We mm-hmm. love that. And so um, what a great topic, you guys, yeah. talking about the Holy Spirit. Very, very much so. Th- there was something, um, our son David consults us, you know, with regards to podcasts and, you know, just kind of the social side of things. And, uh, you know, we do it differently than others. And I know we could do so much, so many other things better. But he says, you know what, Dad? He says, typically people do not go back and listen to previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. He says, typically, you know, they just kind of jump in where they are Mm -hmm. and then begin to move forward. Well, I really can't encourage you enough because we we do take this journey and they do kind of link together. So in the previous podcast, you know, just go back to episode uh, 248 and 49. Here we are in 50. But we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I really do encourage you to, you know, Um, build that foundation as we move forward together. You know, I have a lot of people tell me that they will go back on on these podcasts. Me too, actually, yeah. Everyone that we experience that does it, then it's 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 like the benefit it just oh, yeah. multiplies yeah. in their and life. when we recommend yeah. this podcast especially to those who we have therapy sessions with we say hey start listening to live transformed we think it's going to really benefit your life and start with episode one yep. and they do and we, i have one client right now that's at number 11 and just had to do one to 11 over and over yeah. again they just laying that foundation mm-hmm. of what heart physics is mm-hmm. and heart work so it's fun to talk about this because maybe you're listening and you haven't done that. Yeah. So just even add it to the repertoire. Go back to number one and just start listening through mm-hmm. because I love the foundation mm-hmm. that we laid at the beginning. Yeah. One, one of the fun things is that when people ever li- ever listen to this one or are all about relationships, they get really agitated when it comes to this place of personal responsibility. Oh, yeah. They said, oh, uh, whenever yeah. I listen to your stuff, I, I feel a lot of personal responsibility. I went, oh, okay. Well, and you know, the real truth is everything Jesus taught, he taught from a perspective of personal responsibility because the message of the kingdom is where you are entering into a realm where the king has the authority. And, yes. and so you're entering into that realm and you are you are choosing to become a citizen of this kingdom, which means just like, if you, you know, like, you know, Audrey, when you went through and and you became a citizen of the United States, there were certain there right. were certain things you had to agree to. Yes. And uh, and so, you know, you know it's kind of odd <laughs> that people want to come into the kingdom of God. And, I, you know, right, I, want all, I want all the benefits, but I ain't, don't ask me to do nothing. I had, to, I had to, to reassure them that I could speak the language. I knew the foundations. I knew the history. I knew the politics. I had to take a test. Yep. I mean, all this stuff to become a U.S. citizen. It's really interesting, isn't it? That That's a good way of looking at it. Just last night, um, I personally... When knowing that we're taking personal responsibility actually is so empowering yeah. because now I'm not waiting for a miracle and I'm not, see, this is the part of my life in the kingdom that's yeah. been so empowering because I'm not waiting for the miracle mm-hmm. or waiting for his presence or waiting for that special God yeah. moment. I'm understanding that I get to have those and have access mm-hmm. to those all the time. That's exciting. To you me. know, there are people that I love their teaching. I respect them. 
but they will not give up this religious idea that God shows up at the twelfth hour. And, you know, and, and so, so really, what that kind of does, it presents this thing of, <laughs> wow. of uh, I'm here, God, you didn't show up. You're not on time as usual. You're running behind, and you know, I just can't hardly take anymore. So why oh. are you letting? Why are you breaking wow. my back before before you take this load off of me? And so, and it's that's, horrible. You're calling God so rude. That means just you're basically saying, God, you are so yeah. rude to wait till the last mm-hmm. minute. And so. God, God's never late, but he's seldom early. How many times have you heard oh, yeah. that one? So, so you know, <laughs> and personal responsibility is sort of like, God, you have told me what you will do. Yes. Now, the question yes. is, do I think you're a liar or do I think you're telling the truth? If I think you're telling the truth, that's called faith. I believe what you already mm-hmm. said. So then I act on it. And in the chain of events, then when I act on it, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and manifests it in the physical world. Hallelujah. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> and that's all we got to say. And that's all we got to say about yeah. that. <laughs> so, uh, no, personal responsibility. There is so much incredible freedom and no yes. confusion. You know, something yes. I, I, I just was revisiting this week, and we, we talked about it a lot several weeks ago. You know, we talked about the entropy concept. Mm. And how that that in creation, as far as we can tell, you know, every night when darkness came, and, and again, people don't understand light and dark. So I just, I just, you know, they just think, okay, one sin and one something righteousness or something. You know, it, light and darkness alters our perception. When you get into darkness, you can't clearly distinguish things that you're seeing. You know, and and so with that darkness uh, becomes difficulty of perception, but also with that darkness become, comes confusion and deterioration. And so in the beginning, you know, before sin came into the world, every night the entire earth and maybe the entire universe, you know, went into entropy. But every morning when the light would come and you could see clearly and you could understand what you're seeing and blah, 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 all these things, then you, you overcame the entropy of the previous day or the previous night. And so, you know, that, that's a concept that we have to understand. You know, when, when the Apostle John talks about walking in the light, I, I, I just don't think many people get it. He's talking about walking in the light of something that is clear. Yes. It is understandable. Yes. There is no confusion yes. in it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the only time God's word gets confusing is when we make it religious and try to make it fit what we want it to fit. Exactly. But there's nothing about God. You know, yes. uh, I, I really didn't know this until recently. And I don't know if the, if the name Allah means this specifically, but the whole concept of Allah is he's the unknowable one. And so all of your, all of your cults and old cults present the, their gods as being unknowable, unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You cannot... Imper- impersonal. Impersonal. You can't be sure of what they're going to do or mm-hmm. not do. But right. God has given us 66 books... And yeah. and the Holy Spirit who lives in us to teach us and to reveal things to us so that we could in advance know exactly what we could expect of him. And we're never we're actually never waiting on God. 
No. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? I don't like waiting. I'm not yeah. a naturally patient person. And most of my Christian walk was waiting yeah. for him to answer a particular prayer or waiting for him to show up with, ext- with <clears throat> his extreme presence. That's just yeah. what religion had conditioned me in how I thought. And so when, we, when someone says they've been listening to all our podcasts and going, and I'm just thinking, this is the best news I could give you, is that you actually do co-create with God. And every morning when you wake up to that new day, you can be in absolute yeah. agreement, as you said, with faith. Yeah, absolutely. That he's actually yeah. already done it. It's already, all those promises are accessible. And now Jesus is giving you the Holy Spirit to give you the spirit of wisdom of how to access that, how to expect it, how to accept it, all of the things that, and becoming aware yeah. of it how to focus on it, all the things that, you know, are tools that bring us into really experiencing the goodness of God. And, you know, all of those tools bring us more into the light. Yes, true. uh, Of where we have understanding, where we can, you know, and the light light, um, makes it possible for us to grasp and perceive the source of life and see Jesus as Mm. the source of life. And so... So you stop and think this concept of always waiting on God, this totally violates the fact that Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the helper, not the doer. Right. And so we're grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, that, and and you know, we talked about this you know, a couple of programs back. But one of the things you got to remember, it is totally what. What many Christians believe about the Holy Spirit is totally insulting and unscriptural because we have this impersonal concept of the Holy Spirit as if he's just a force or a, uh, you know, or influence uh, here in planet Earth. But, uh, you you know, I had somebody I had somebody the other day where where I talked about, uh, you know, Jesus and the Trinity. And I had somebody, uh, you know, make a comment and it's like it's like no no there's not another one jesus is the one and it's like well you know bless your heart maybe i mean did you think jesus was just making up stuff about when he was talking to god the father did you think he was just pretending like there was a holy spirit you know there's a godhead god the father god the son god the holy spirit and so but we create this impersonal concept of the holy spirit and and i'm and you know so 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 it's, we're not in a compassionate community uh, uh, relationship. We're not, you know, we're not receiving direction and teaching and instruction from the Holy Spirit because we're not, we're not seeing him as personal. But but also we we put ourselves in a place where he's not a compassionate, personal, personal individual being. Then then uh, then he's not here uh, helping us in advance. We're always at that waiting for my back to break, you know, stage uh, because he's 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 really not taking the initiative and he is not supposed to take the initiative because as the helper, he listens to us. He doesn't he doesn't intrude upon us. He doesn't force his will upon us. But so it's not that we're waiting on him. It's the fact that he is always waiting on us. He's always ready to act. Wow. It, this is all extremely encouraging. And then when, you know, just do- dovetailing from last last week's podcast, he is, we are the doers. <coughs> yeah. We are to be the doers of the Absolutely. word. Absolutely. 
And so maybe we can talk about clearly how that, how we can do that in a practical way. How are we doers yeah. of the word? How, and how do we access and enjoy the help of the Holy Spirit in our daily times together? Well, if, if we're the doer and he's the helper, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then if we do not know what to expect of him, then we're afraid that we'll do something and he won't be there to help. Hmm. You, know, you know, because because we make the will of God such a mystery, uh, which is, is is not a mystery in the sense that God doesn't want you to. God has, like I said, he's given us 66 books of the Bible. He's given us Jesus. He's given us his names. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us everything imaginable so we can know exactly who he is, exactly what his character and nature is, and exactly what we could rely on him to always do. So there is nothing to wait on. It's just whether or not we believe what he has shown us. And if we believe it, then we act on it. We, we become the doer. So we'll, we'll kind of get into the application of that. But I want to mm -hmm. talk about application from a little bit, uh, <clears throat> from a little bit different perspective. Great. You know, one, you know, you know, I asked the question last week, you know, how many people do you know that are praying for revival and praying for God to move and, and you know, wanting God to come and solve these all these problems that are happening in the world? Uh, and, and but they're ready to fully cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow him to express his gifts through them, allow him to express his character. And and, and what did you say about 20? I said 20. Yeah. I was just off the top. No, I, no, and it's probably right. So, but I do want to say this. One of the re one of the reasons I think that much of the church is so skeptical of the Holy Spirit is because of uh, unscriptural ways that the Holy Spirit has been represented uh, over the last 60, 70 years. Yes. You know, the Pentecostals, presented an, uh, the idea that if the Holy Spirit came upon you, that basically you just lost your mind. You had no idea what you said. You have no idea what you did. You were out of control and you had no freedom of choice in this. And so people look at that and they're like, oh. And, and I have no responsibility. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I have had preachers literally act like, see them act like a fool, you know, up in the pulpit. And then when they get through this, well, I don't know what I said. I don't know what I did. But, you know, the Holy Spirit was in control. No, because the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. doesn't make you do anything. Now, we will get into this on this series, you know, where the Bible talks about the fact that if you're not led by the Spirit, then you are not experiencing sonship. So, and that, that's really... That's really, really challenging. But that being led is not being forced. It's not being coerced. It's not having, you know, demand, the demand made on you. So here's another thing. You know, the, uh, of course, the early, the Pentecostals and even the early charismatic movement was so unscriptural in many of their concepts of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, and I'm not saying this is wrong biblically, but there was such an emphasis on speaking in tongues and then such a a perversion of what that looked like that people are looking at that. Believers are looking at it and saying, man, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I want to do any of that. I don't I, I, you know, I, I can't accept that. And so people 
have fears about yielding to the Holy Spirit based on what goofy religion has showed them. Totally. So, you know, I, you know, and I tell people, like, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. You know, Paul spoke in tongues, Peter spoke in tongues, Mary spoke in tongues, all of the 11 apostles spoke in tongues, uh, all of the disciples spoke in tongues, all the early church fathers spoke in tongues. And so, you know, it's kind of hard. And when you've got the spirit in you that actually is the one who gives you the the language, so to speak, you, you can't say that you're afraid of the Holy Spirit because because he's already in you. He's the one that baptized you in the body of Christ. But you can say, I just don't understand this. You know, you know, and, and this program today is not about forcing you to speak in tongues, but but we're going to bring some things into perspective about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So let's move to that that place of of um, identifying yep. the evidence yep. of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And you know the the keep in mind the Bible says that the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now the, the word gifts uh, comes it comes from the word charisma uh, or charismata, and the root word of that is charis, and the word charis is the word grace. And so the grace of God is an ability, it's a strength, it's a power, and it, it comes by unmerited favor and it works from your heart. Now, the Holy Spirit works from your heart, and that's why the gifts of the Holy Spirit work from your heart. But I don't even mm. like the term gifts. I, I prefer to, to talk about the grace of healing, you know, the grace of mm. prophecy, because it is, it is literally oh, a I grace. Like yeah. yeah, I like that. And it's, it's, so it's, it's just, it, it just, but anyhow, it says that the, these gifts of the Holy Spirit or the grace of the Holy Spirit is a manifestation. Now, a manifestation is where you make something perceivable. You make something are uh, 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 visible in this earthly physical realm. So, I've, you know, I've, I've told people this for years, and you, you know, I've said it a, a lot of different ways, where I talk to people about how it really doesn't matter what you believe until you experience it. Right. Because until right. you experience it, it has done nothing. It actually is not a belief. No. Like what I've learned is the belief comes when there's the information and, and the knowledge plus the experience and the emotion. That's what it actually becomes of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When we've experienced yeah. it. It's not, yeah, it's, it's really not, it's That's not a belief to, you, to experience it. Because then it's not, not, it's not in your <coughs> no. heart. Because if there's no evidence in your heart that it's no. real, then you can't believe it. So you stop and think, let's say, for example, uh, let's just talk about the gift of healing for a minute. Or, or okay. the grace of healing. So <laughs> God is wanting to manifest himself to every single person in the world. He's, he's mm -hmm. wanting every person in the world to experience the fact mm -hmm. that he's alive, that he loves love them, that. that he cares about mm -hmm. his cares about their cares about their situation, you know, wants to bring them great benefit, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, but that can only happen if the truth of who God is actually manifests in them. So talking to them about healing just becomes something that you're talking about means nothing, it's not changing their life. It's not helping them at all. But if healing manifests, in other words, if it becomes visible, if it becomes recognizable, if it becomes experiential, 
then now you have actually uh, actually tasted. You know, the Bible doesn't say study and see that God's good. It tastes and see that God's good. Isn't that <clears throat> a, that's an experiential yeah. word. I just love And that. so now you've experienced healing from yourself. Now you you have you know something about God that makes you grasp his love in a dimension that you never could before because before everything was just informational, right? So any of what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit, any of them, the whole purpose for them manifesting is not to confirm your ministry, is not to confirm your anointing. It is to, <laughs> it is to confirm the truth of God's word and the, and the love that is embedded and that drives the truth of everything that God has ever said. Wow. His truth and his love. Yeah. So, so you stop. So, so actually you could go to any of the gifts, you know, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people love to prophesy. You know what I mean? But the, mm -hmm. the, the real question is, is that prophecy a manifestation of the character and nature of God meeting a need in a person's life that becomes experiential because what you share with them means something so phenomenal that they know it had to come from the throne of God. They know nobody else knew that, you know. And so, so they experience God in a particular situation that's probably private and that they maybe even haven't shared with anybody. You know, I've, I've had that happen. I know you guys probably do this all the time in, in your personal uh, work with people, but you know, where you're just in there talking to somebody and man, it just kind of rolls out of you. And suddenly you're, you're, you're describing something to them that they're doing that they're involved in or something. And they haven't told anybody. And suddenly they realize, wait a minute, God is real. I mean, because nobody knew this. Yeah. You know, it's probably that is the biggest revelation that God is real because then that can ignite. You know, yep. I think of lighting a candle. It just ignites the flame that God is real. Then we can work with yep. that. Once we just believe that God is real and he cares. Yep. The only reason I would, something like that would ever come out in a, in a conversation is because God yep. cares for you so much yep. and loves you so much. So the point of, of the Holy Spirit flowing out of you. Now, th there's mm -hmm. filled with the Spirit and there's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those are not the same things. And we may get a chance to talk about that. But, uh, but you know, in, in just in condensed version, the concept of being filled with the Spirit has more to do with the Holy Spirit working in us to develop our character and our nature and to, you know, to uh, bring us about personally. Uh, uh, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about what's in you. It's about what's over you, what has covered you over, what is what's touching the world on the outside. You know, when John baptized with water, he didn't give people a straw and go down there and say, no, suck up as much of that river as you can and drink it. And likewise, when Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit, he didn't say, all right, try to get the Holy Spirit in you. No, because it's about the Holy Spirit being upon us and about us experiencing power to touch and influence a hurting world around us and get them out of that pain. This this might be the place, but again, I, I don't want to take you off, off track there, Jim. Would that then be, uh, you know, differentiating between the two, mm. Holy Spirit within, okay, and Holy Spirit upon or through, uh, would that then also bring us to the place where the the apostles ministered the Holy Spirit through the laying on of yeah. hands, being that being that which is upon yeah. 
that would flow through you to others. Yeah. Even you know, even when Jesus breathed on the disciples. Now, this is my this is my opinion. So, if anybody disagrees, that's all right. <clears throat> See, it, I don't think there was anything supernatural about the fact that it was Jesus breathing on them. Remember, the word breath in the Hebrew is the word for spirit. And so, when Jesus said, "Now take the Holy Spirit," it's just like us. You know, we lay hands on people. And Jesus laid hands on people, but he didn't have to lay hands on them from get healed. A lot of people got healed just because he spoke a word to them, and, and, and you know other, you know, you know by other means. So the Holy Spirit, I mean, uh, the laying of hands is just a physical thing that we do. Oh, you know, Old Roberts back in the, uh, in the, from the fifties forward, you know, he used to call that just a point of contact. It, you know, it's just, it's just about making a personal, physical, experiential contact. Uh, that makes it easier for the per- for the person to open up and receive. So when Jesus blew on his disciples, listen, they studied the Old Testament. They all grew up studying the Old Testament, the Hebrew. And so when he said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathe on them, it wasn't that his breath was the Holy Spirit. I mean, as far as I can see, it was so much that his breath represented the Holy Spirit. And you said, okay, I've got to take hold of it. So same thing with laying old hands. We're laying old hands, but the real truth is, the laying on of hands is just is just a point of contact. It is something that gives them a physiological experience that makes it easier for them to grasp that that something's happening. But it is the fact that the Holy Spirit is that's not the Holy Spirit working in us. That's work, the Holy Spirit working through us. That's the Holy Spirit being upon us. That's the Holy Spirit outside of us touching touching another person. So everything that God does, he does for love. And you have to understand that anything, you know, anytime a person interprets scripture and comes up with something mean, you know, even if it's something hard, there are some hard things, but that don't mean they're mean because everything God ever did, the intention and the motive behind it was always Mm -hmm. to bring people to an experience of his love, even if it was challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus told people go and sin no more, I got, you know, th- there was actually one person that Jesus told go and sin no more that if you go back and study in the book of John, this person went to the Pharisees. He was the begin- one that began the persecution that led to Jesus being crucified. And he'd got and wow. he had gotten a miracle. Wow. But he, he didn't huh. like it that Jesus told him go and sin no more. But why would Jesus tell him go and huh. sin no more? Because of love. You don't want to get back yes. in this. You don't want to get back in right. this. You don't want to have your life right. destroyed again. So now you're free. Stay free. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting. You can be, you know, what's love and loving and literal freedom to one person if another person isn't ready for it, they take it yep. as condemnation. And you know what yep. I'm saying? Like the very same words yep. can be spoken to two different people. One person can say, wow, this is my, this is my yep. freedom yep. that I even have personal responsibility. Like this is my new level of freedom. And to the other person, it says, nope, not interested. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah, and, and stop talking to me. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I'll be calling you yeah. again. <laughs> So now all of this is, is I, I want to make sure everybody understands everything God does, whether you understand it or not, everything God does is done. Actually, it's done to, in the, in the English, it's the word perfect to perfect you. But see, the word perfect is, is like the word fulfilled. It's talking about bringing you to the fulfillment of an intention. And so the intention with God 
is that you discover that God so loved the world and you just happen to be part of the world so much that he gave his only son for you. And so, and so God perfecting you is God, everything that God does is to perfect you, to bring you into the experiential fulfillment of his love. Hmm. So, you know, many, many people would insist that if somebody laid hands on you and prayed for you to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that if you didn't speak in tongues, then you didn't, nothing happened. It didn't work. Right. Now, speaking in tongues is a very biblical thing, and there's a, some very biblical reasons for it. But if the goal of God is for us to experience his love, then maybe we've kind of got the cart before the horse in saying, all right, yes, this is kind of the biblical model. So that's the only way that this can happen. And, but I want to look at something here. And I want, to, I want us to look at Luke, the fourth chapter. And you know, Luke, the fourth, fourth chapter, this happened right after Jesus went through his temptation. Hmm. Now, man, I could spend hours on the fact that number one, the temptation, he was only ready for the temptation after the Holy Spirit came upon him. Wow. That is profound. That is profound. Because he emptied himself, according to the book of Philippians, they call it the great kenosis. And he emptied himself of all of his ability, strength, characteristics as God. And he limited himself to having to function on earth exactly only, like a human being. Only. Yes. Wow. And so Acts 10, 38 says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit who went about healing good uh, and healing all those who were oppressed. So every miracle, every healing, every gift of the Holy Spirit that came, it didn't come and it didn't manifest because he was the son of God. It manifested because he was the son of man. And as the son of man, he became a doer of the word. And because he did the word, the Holy Spirit then brought the power to manifest the word. And so the manifestation of the word was where people felt the love of God because they got healed. They got a prophecy. They got a word. You know, one day I was sitting in my, my apartment. Brenda, Brenda and I had been married very long. And I had a, I, we, had a, we had a bay window in our bedroom. Wasn't very big, but had a bay window. But, <clears throat> so I had a desk, a little desk that sat right there in front of that. That's where I studied, read, prayed. So I was sitting there one day and I saw a, a kid, several apartments down, about four or five apartments down. I saw him taking the garbage out to the dumpster. And man, I just got this sense. I got to talk to him. I got to go talk to him. Had no idea what I was going to talk to him about. But, you know, usually when this stuff unfolds, or at least for me, I just get a piece at a time. And, and when I follow that piece, you know, I'm obedient to that part. Then the next part comes. Then the next part comes. Then the next part comes. And so I just jumped up and ran out there and I had no idea what I was going to say to him. I just knew I needed to go talk to this guy. And so, uh, so I run out there and, uh, and you know, I say hi to him, talk to him a couple of seconds. And so then it started unfolding in me, you know, and I just said, listen, I was sitting up there, I was reading and praying and I looked up there and I saw you and I'll tell you, God stirred at my heart and here's, here's what God spoke to my heart. You have just started running with a different group of people than you used to run with. And last night you made a decision about, mm -hmm. about how some things you were going to get involved in. 
And I'm telling you, if you follow through on that decision, it's going to be the destruction of your life. And God doesn't want all that happening to you. God, you know, so I went into the healthy, positive part. Of course, that guy just stood there looking dumbfounded. And he said, you know, I just started a new job just a week or two ago. I just started running with a whole new group of people. And just last night, we all got together and doing some things. And he said, you know, I started doing some things I'd never done before. I knew, I knew I was headed for trouble. But see, he, it, it wasn't a judgment word. It was a love word. God loves you so much. He, he's got this yes. warning, you know, you know, for you. And so, so that's how yes. I see it. So anyhow, so, so, you know, my question is, is this, all right. So what do you think would be the greatest demonstration in that situation of God's love for him? And if, if God's goal is always to perfect people, do you think it did him more good for me to share that with him, which we would call probably a word of knowledge, or if I would just run out there and sit in front of him and talk in tongues for a few minutes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, again, I'm not minimizing <laughs> speaking to us. No, I'm telling you, no. you know, when you, the Bible says when you pray in own tongue, you edify yourself, you build yourself mm -hmm. up. And this that's one of the most important tools I know of for uh, actually for strengthening yourself or building yourself back up when you're discouraged and encouraging yourself. But again, when it comes to helping other people, though, not so important. So right. Jesus, number one, he gets he, he, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Yes. Number two, and we see this in this passage of scripture, he resolved his self-worth issues. And, and the, mm. every one of the temptations were directly related to codependent self-worth issues. Wow. And, uh, you know, to prove himself, prove he was God and you know, prove his faith and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so then he leaves there and he goes, he, he begins ministering in, uh, uh, in Galilee. And so he ends up in Nazareth and he, he actually ends up in this synagogue. And so he gets up and he goes up, you know, to the front of the synagogue. And in and, and Luke 4, verse 17, it says, they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And that where it says he found a place, that very well may, may specifically mean he found a place that he had looked at before. In other words, this had been a scripture that he had pondered. And because uh, you got to remember, Jesus, the Bible says he grew in wisdom, grew in knowledge, and grew in the grace of God. And so Jesus had to read the scriptures and learn the scriptures just like we do to discover what his identity hmm. was. Hmm. So, and then he starts reading. And so he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because now, yes, I'm good with praying tongues. I, I just got to tell you this though, the most of the way that I have seen charismatics, Pentecostals and word of faith people, most of the, the ways I have seen people do that, I didn't think was all that healthy. I didn't think mm -hmm. I didn't think they were it didn't seem like they were connecting to God. It, you know, you know, they're looking at their watch thinking, oh, I'm going to jabber in tongues here for a few minutes and we're going to go eat. We're, we're going going to Popeye's to get us some chicken. And you know what I mean? It, it, you know what I mean? It just seemed like just some religious. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll jabber a lot and maybe that'll make yeah. maybe that'll make God hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Just a part of their public form yeah. of worship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is saying here now, he's saying, I am 
anointed with the Holy Spirit. But he said, now I'm going to tell you why the Holy Spirit is upon me. So that takes us back to John 20 that we talked about in one of the recent sessions where Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you receive the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is, I am sending you with the, with the same mission. I'm sending you with the same purpose, but I'm also sending you with the same power. And so here we are seeing, okay, if I received the Holy Spirit, if I actually took hold of the Holy Spirit, and if I'm sent with the same mission, purpose, and power of Jesus, then when I read this scripture, I have to say, if the Holy Spirit is upon me, this is the same reason he's upon me. He's not upon me for something different than he was, you know, for Jesus. And so he says, so the Holy, here's why he's upon me. Number one, he's uh, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I, I'm going to break these down as much as I can in the time that we have. You guys just interrupt me where, you know, where we okay. want to. Okay, good. Uh, because I could just, you know, I could just run straight through it. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to. I just uh, run over you here. Yeah. So you don't want to be a bulldozer. Don't want to be a bulldozer. So number one, <laughs> remember the word anointing is talking about the outside, not the inside. This is this is not the Holy Spirit coming on the inside of you. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and He's come upon you to preach the gospel to the poor. Now the word gospel is good news. So the Holy Spirit is not on you to deliver a bunch of judgment and bad news. If it's not good news, it is not gospel. Now, the poor, we know that God has always expressed mercy and compassion uh, for the poor. We, we, we know that. But what you will discover in this passage here in Luke, it seems that all of the symptoms that he points out are more symptoms of the heart. And so... So, you know, when he talks about setting the captives free, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, he's talking about casting out demons. No, I don't think so. When he talks about, you know, doing, you know, doing this and that, he's talking about, no, these are pretty much, he is talking about things of the heart. Now, the poor, this word for poor is like a person, that, like a beggar that squatted down and he's got his hands stretched out. You see, the poor recognize their desperate need for God. Now, one of the things that I have discovered in decades of, you know, a lot of one-on-one -on -one personal ministry, and that is, I don't want to try to share the gospel with the arrogant because I will force them to blaspheme. Mm. I, I try to pay attention to how receptive people are. And when people, when people, when I see that they're cutting me off, I just stop. I don't, I don't try to force mm -hmm. it beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you waste your time on people that are arrogant, hard-hearted, mm -hmm. uh, contrary, then you get discouraged and you think, man, nobody wants mm -hmm. this. But you go to people that you can that want this, you it, it's just you, you, you know you just you get up every day thinking, hey man, everybody wants to get saved today. So it's gospel yeah. to the poor, those who are hungry for this, desperate for this. Yeah, and that rebounds exactly out of Matthew 5, yep. uh, where Jesus speaking, you know, in the Beatitudes, yep. the very first statement he makes is God blesses those who are poor, poor in spirit, yep. and realize their need for him, yep. for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So just that yearning, yep. you know, 
God, I want you. And I tell you, that tells me something about me in that if I ever come to a place where I'm lost the realization of how desperate I am for God, then I don't think that the Holy Spirit can do anything for me. You know, if I come to that place of, I, I mean, you know, which one of the churches was it that Jesus wrote to? He said, you know, you say that you're wealthy and you have everything and you're dressed all good, and everything, but you're poor and naked and blind. Right, right. So that can happen in us, not just in people that were ministered to. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a thing, I think we've talked a little bit about this, the word eminence. Now, Eminence there is a homonym. There's three words that are all pronounced exactly the same. And no, I didn't say homony. I said a homonym. That's a part of speech. <clears throat> and and the word eminent or eminence that yeah. applies to the gospel, it it, it is uh, it is where there is a, a sense of urgency about something that can happen mm. at any moment, and there are no warnings whatsoever. Hmm. Now, when you look at that, as a new word for when me. you look at the second coming of Jesus, w we do theologically with the second coming of Jesus, what we do with a lot of doctrines, we consider them to be synonymous. We, we, we overlap hmm. different events and we don't recognize right. that. No, uh, these are two different events. For right. example, you know, you, it's like we loop them all together in one yeah. box. Oh, that's yeah. that box. Yeah. And so, you know, there, you read the scripture where, where Jesus says, you know, he's coming like a thief in the night. And then you read another scripture where it says, uh, 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 no, it's going to be like lightning flashing from the east to the west and everybody's going to see it. And so you go. Uh, 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 oh, and I thought it was a trumpet. Well, yeah. And you got the ones with the trumpet. <laughs> and so you got again, you got what seems like contradictions, but they're only contradictions because we try to make them one event. See, Jesus is actually coming back twice, twice, two more times. Mm -hmm. He's coming back once to meet us in the air. And that's mm -hmm. called the rapture. And then we will spend some time with him. We will we will go through the marriage ceremony. Uh, we will go through we will go through uh, whatever you know we go through in that period of time. And then we come back with him to overthrow the antichrist and then to serve in his government here on planet earth during the millennium yes. so so he's actually coming twice once nobody sees him but us because we go to meet him but actually what we call the second coming he's coming back and we're and we're coming with him now that what you start realizing is all of the scriptures that talk about him coming back and bringing us with him all of those scriptures give you conditions. They give you signs. They give you things to look for, uh, to recognize that that time is, is very near. But the references to him coming and getting his bride, there are no signs. There are no warnings. So it is imminent. And we are supposed to live with this sense of urgency that says, yeah, he's been gone 2,000 years, but you know what? Any day, any mm. day. Right. And when you lose that sense of urgency, man, you, you change. 
And in Jesus, remember, most of his parables of the kingdom, which people don't understand, the parables are about the kingdom. They're not about how to get saved. But just think about how many parables where he'll say, well, you know, the master left and he stayed gone so long that the people just kind of thought he ain't coming. And then they started, you know, doing this and doing that. And so all through his parables, all of the places where people lost a sense of eminence, they just kind of lost their mind and started living anyway. Well, I, I'm just telling you, for me personally, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to lose my urgency. I'd rather go through my whole life expecting him to come and him not come mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than for me to play it cool and, and cool off. Right. right, 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 right. Occupy till he comes. Yep. And what we're talking about here, this isn't scary. No. This this isn't to, you know, to scare you into anything. Mm. No, But this is not. absolutely thrilling. Yes. Yeah. That with the work and the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, I can remain yep. engaged, active, anticipating. Yeah. I, I, am, I am the one... Uh, with hope, yeah. I'm the one with peace in the room. Yeah. You know, I, 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 that's who I am in yeah. this. And I think religion has, you know, entered in, yeah. and uh, that's where that self deception comes oh, in. Yeah. And then fear just wants to come yeah. in and, and and rob us of the relationship that we that we can have with the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Most of the 21st century church is living in the warning that. Peter gave, that the apostle Peter gave, where he said, as we get down this time, people are going to say, well, where's the proof of his coming? You know, everything's going on just like it always has. In other words, you're just a fool if you're actually expecting him to come any minute. Wow. Hmm. That's really good, Jim. Yeah. And, 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 and so I don't, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be that person that says, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going, I'm going to get in sin because it don't matter anyhow, you know, grace of God, da, 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 da. Uh, I don't want to be that person, man. I, and I don't want to get in sin because it's painful. No, I, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've been there. I can testify to all that. Yeah. So then he goes on to say, and he's talking about the, the reasons that the Holy Spirit's on. And first and foremost, you know, preaching good news to the people mm-hmm. who want it and who are, who are desperate for it. And then he says, and he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, every problem that a person has is related to the condition of their heart. That's it. Now, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, and I forget the scripture reference off the top of my head, but if you go to the book of Jeremiah, you'll read this scripture that says, the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Or some translations said desperately deceitful. And so people will look at that scripture and say, what are you talking about? What's all this stuff you talk about the heart all the time? It's, it's wicked. Your heart's wicked and deceitful. Well, uh, excuse me, when we got born again, we got a new spirit and a new heart. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just the fact we got a new spirit. Our spirit came alive to God is really what happened. And we got a new heart. Now, what that, script, what that passage in Jeremiah actually says, and I, I'll never forget a good friend of mine. He said, I heard you teach on this one time. He said, that is not what that says. That, that can't be what that says. And he says, you know, he went home to cynical and critical. And one day something happened. I forgot what it was, man. He was messed up about something. And he decided to look up that scripture and found out it was absolutely how I translated it. And and it was able to help him deal with some issues in his heart. But what that scripture actually says, 
it says that the heart is covered in footprints and is desperately chaotic and, and because it's covered in footprints and chaos, you, you, you can't know your own heart. Now you can't after you get a new heart. Now you say, well, what does that mean, footprints? Well, what about the term what about the terminology of people just walked all over my heart? In other words, people have walked on our heart to such a degree. Stomped on us. Stomped sometimes. on our heart, broken yeah. our heart to such a right. degree that our heart no longer functions yeah. as God right. created it to function. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then all we can see is chaos. All we can experience is chaos mm -hmm. and pain. And we cannot understand what's really going on. Well, here's the great thing. If your heart got stomped on after you got born again, you can get your heart renewed. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit, you know, you notice here that we're addressing the heart, not so much the mind. And I, and I, you know, I'm rewriting Leadership That Builds People, Volume One, Two, and Three, and and just putting more and more in there about how to minister to the heart, how to influence people yes. in a way that affects their yes. heart. Yeah. Uh, for, forget about the information. I mean, you got to have good information. Go ahead and read what you got there, Bob. Yeah. Well, this is Jeremiah 17. This is yeah. the verse that you referenced. And so I always like to put in the context of the previous verses, because yeah. they're so profound. Verse 7 says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And then mm -hmm. comes verse yeah. 9. The human heart mm -hmm. is the most deceitful or desperately wicked. Who really knows or can trust what yeah. it is? So the it's, you know, Jeremiah lays it out. This is the life that you should yeah. be living deep. Mm. You know, let the roots of, of your life grow deep yeah. into the soil of God's marvelous love. But you've been you're yeah. missing that mm. because you've been stepped yeah. on. And so he's mm. juxtaposing mm -hmm. a heart that is whole and established and the roots are deep Beautiful. in God. He's juxtaposing that over against the person who is living in this abusive, broken heart and just yes. can't get a handle on life. Yeah. And Jesus says, I've yep. come to be the one that yep. can restore you to the way life is supposed to be. And can I add a third to that yeah. juxtaposing? Because the first part of that, that whole chapter, from what I remember, is cursed is the man who trusts in human yep. strength and relies on their mm. own strength. So that's even something completely mm. different. Like yeah. that's that pride. Well, and again, this is we're talking about the the role or my this relationship with does. the Holy Spirit. Yes. You see, I trust in the Lord, and that is a work of the Holy yeah. Spirit in my life as he is my prayer right. comes alongside me. So we have the one at the beginning that, you know, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I trust in yeah. my home, human strength. And then we have the one who does trust the Holy yeah. Spirit. Then we have the one that's so broken that, yeah. you know what, I've been stomped on. Mm -hmm. So how who can I trust? Now, here, here's something you want to realize. If you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you or, or in us, you know, yeah, then... We don't have to go to anybody to lay hands on us to get our heart healed. We we no. can interact with the Holy Spirit 
within us and he can bring mm -hmm. us to getting our heart healed. Yes, yes. yes. He and he will. Oh, yeah. As we are willing and we want yeah. that, we he will find a way yeah. to to help us through that. If that's where we want Absolutely. to go. We do get what we want as human beings. We oh, yeah. we, do, we get what we, we choose. What we want. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So so yes, he so he's given he's he's given you the reasons that the Holy Spirit's upon him. And so mm -hmm. then he says, uh, he's also, he says, the Holy Spirit's problem, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, this word for captives here is like uh, a prisoners of war. And of course, liberty is where, is where like a person who has been taken captive gets a writ, uh, a document uh, of where all of the debt is paid. And so, so you're able to be, you're able to be released from this captivity or from or, or from this prison. Now, what we're going to see in here is that these references to captives, this is, you know, I've seen and cast out a bunch of demons. This is not about demons. So this is about captivity that is based on this broken heart, how you believe, how you think, and, and how you how you become a slave to something that you just you, you just didn't didn't even know you could become a slave to, you know, it's, it's so deep and so profound. So, yeah. uh, so these, these prisoners of war, these are people who are, who are taken captive and basically and it's, it's really important that we understand this. Basically they are sitting in a jail cell somewhere. Hmm. So hmm. then, but then it says, so one, he starts kind of going into how he's going to set you free here because all right, I'm going to deal with your heart. And even though you're sitting in this prison of darkness and and you you mm -hmm. see no hope of getting, you can't even you can't even figure out how you can get out because it's dark. All you know is is you're in a prison. It's dark because you know they didn't have windows in their prisons. They weren't ventilated. They didn't have candles. I mean, they sat in dark cells. You know, and if they if you went to prison, you could spend 20 years in a cell that a light you never saw a light unless somebody walked by on the you know down the hallway or something with a candle in total darkness. You couldn't see anything. You had no hope at all. So he says, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to recover sight to the blind. I think the King James says, open the eyes of the blind. And again, this is not talking about physical blindness. Physical blindness, right. Now, I always use, there's two places that I always go to whenever whenever I'm talking about this passage of scripture right here. And one is, is in Mark 6, where Jesus fed the 5,000. And when he, when he fed the 5,000, uh, if you'll, if you'll remember, there were 5,000 men, which, which meant there was probably at least 5,000 women, who knows how many children. So there could have been 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. And so the disciples are like, man, Lord, you, you got to, you got to send these people somewhere. They're, they are going to starve to death. They're, they're not even a waffle house anywhere around here. They, you, you got to send them somewhere. And Jesus said, and I just love, and we miss this. I know this is one of these things that just sells by us. He says, you feed them. <laughs> now he was giving, remember, wow. He had sent them out, laying hands on the sick. He had sent them out, cast out demons. He had sent them out. So, so he was just, he's sort of saying, what's different about this? Why don't you step up? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what it comes down to. Mm. So they thought, okay. So, so they go out and, and what they do is they try to find resources and they find five loaves of bread and two fish. 
So now the problem is they look at a problem from a natural perspective and they looked for natural resources to solve this problem. Mm. And so they go back to Jesus like, well, this is it, you know, five loaves, two fish. That's all we got. And so Jesus said, look, get everybody to sit down. He gets everybody orderly. He gets everybody sits down and, you know, groups of fifties and whatever, hundreds and tens or whatever. And so Jesus does something in Mark 6 that is so phenomenal. It says, so he takes the bread and the fish. And the King James says, and he looked up into heaven and he blessed and broke the bread and passed it out. Well, well that phrase, look up into heaven in the Greek, is this the exact phrase that's in Luke chapter four, where it says recovering sight. So Jesus was looking to heaven to recover his sight. To, you know, I always talk about how the, the glory of God is God's view, God's opinion, uh, which means it's a reality. It's God's reality. Now, God's view was that, okay, five loaves, two fish, we got plenty to eat. Now, if Jesus was a man tempted every way, just like we would be, I know how I would be tempted sitting there. I'd be going, I, uh, I don't, I don't so. know. I don't, you know, my, yeah. the demand is greater than my resources. I would have been just as carnal as the disciples and just looking at what the natural resources were. Now, if Jesus was a man, he had to have a moment of that temptation. If he's tempted in every way like that, there had to be some at some point where where that flew, it flew across his mind. It's like, you know, the demand is so way greater than the resources. Mm -hmm. So what did he do? He recovered sight. And see, because Jesus lived from his heart, because he developed his heart, all this kind of stuff, it was just almost, it, you know, it took him a nanosecond to come back to God's perspective. And this is why I can't emphasize it enough. Man, we need to deliberately, consciously live out of our heart, listen to our heart, follow our heart, so that there's never anything we have to work up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For, one of the phrases I use is, I just want to practice his yeah. presence. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's that's what I want to do, so that it is very natural. Yeah, and that's a that's a great way that's a great way to put it. So Jesus recovers that. Now, then he did something so different than how we were taught to do it. You know, when we were taught about faith, Jesus didn't grab the bread and the fish, start confessing a bunch of stuff. He didn't ask God to start saying thank you a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, he didn't ask God to do anything. You know, he didn't say, God, will you multiply this? You know, mm -hmm. the only time, you know, what was it? When, when he when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed and he didn't ask God to raise him. He raised him. And but he prayed and he said, and the only reason I'm praying God is for their sake. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> you know, Jesus didn't ask God to work miracles. He used his authority to work miracles and relied on the same Holy Spirit that we have to manifest those miracles in the lives of the people. Mm -hmm. So he didn't do all this chicken scratching that we do and then try to say it loud enough and long enough and hard enough to get the bread. So multiply. 
what he did first, he recovered sight for himself to see it from God's perspective. But then once that was established in his heart, then he then he blessed it. That's where he just spoke to it and said, uh, you you will multiply or something like, something as simple as that. And so every time he'd break off a piece of bread, it was just like it's just like when he made that wine from water, you know, or just like the oil, you know, that the the the, the prophet got back in uh, where where whatever when it was Elijah, where the the widow her her oil never ran out, her flour never ran out. Mm-hmm. Every time she just go dip it out, there, there would always be more there until the drought was over. So recovering sight for these people that are prisoners of war, they're sitting in a prison the problem is from a heart perspective they have to recover sight to see things from god's perspective so the spirit of god wasn't on jesus to tell them what all they had done wrong to end up in that situation he didn't tell them what they did wrong he didn't tell them all the reasons they got there he just said this is the solution mm-hmm. just like he would tell the cripple stand up and walk i've thought about that a million times I've laid in bed and thought about that for hours at a time. Jesus walks up to you and says, stand up, walk. And you say, well, I, I would have been crippled. He said, well, stand up, walk, you won't be crippled. But I can't stand up, walk because I'm crippled. You know what I mean? It, it's just one of those that would just go back and forth. Stand up, walk. Can't because I'm crippled. Well, but if you'll walk, you won't be crippled anymore. Well, I know. And if I could walk, I wouldn't be crippled, but can't walk because I'm crippled. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it, it's just yeah. one of those. It, it, and I kind of, yeah. that's the way I kind of see all this is, is, you know, if we're preaching the good news, the good news is here's the solution. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And they either respond to it or they don't. But in, in yeah. Isaiah 42, I just want to, I just want to go to this. In Isaiah 42, he, another one of those passages in Isaiah where it talks about, uh, uh, you know, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being upon us. And, and so in verse Seven, actually, the last part of verse six, he says, you know, that he's given, you know, the Messiah as a covenant to the people and as a light to the Gentiles. But verse seven, he says, to open blind eyes and to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, what's interesting about this, see, when when Jesus was raised from the dead, just like the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom and you had free access to go in the presence of God, every prison door and every heart was open. open. Mm. There's not one person that's waiting on God to show up and do something. Yeah. The problem is they are not trusting God to open their eyes. They're not saying, God, show me how to get out of here. They're not, not saying, give me the wisdom to figure out how to get out of this dark cell because they don't even know that the door's been open. It's too dark for them to know that. And so when he opens the eyes of your heart by the gospel that he preaches to you, your heart perceives that the door is open and all you got to do is get up and walk out. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And then he goes on to say, here's another reason this spirit is on me, is to set at liberty 
those that are oppressed are bruised. Hmm. Now, a bruise, when you hit you know, yourself on your arm or your leg or something, so what happens is blood actually escapes from the blood vessels. And, and, and that blood goes out into that area where you were hit. Now, that blood coagulates. And when that blood coagulates, then actually blood stops flowing through that area. It's like it becomes stopped up. Well, when it becomes stopped up and blood's not going to flow into that area, number one, uh, no nutrients are getting into that area. Number two, no oxygen is getting into that area. Right. But number three, right. which is the most important, no voltage is getting into that oh, area. Oh, no energy. No energy. Right. And so, right. And so what he's saying is, I am going to open the bruises. Mm. I'm going to open your eyes. And I'm not just going to get you out of prison. I am going to open Ooh, the bruises so good. Yes. that put you here. Wow. I'm going to heal these bruises in your heart and make you think you deserve to be here and whatever, you know. I'm going to bring nutrients. Yeah. I'm going to bring truth. I'm going to bring power, energy. Yeah. I'm going to bring all to those places yeah. where it's been stuck. It's going to flow through you yeah. and it's going to open those places yeah. up. And yeah. you're going to stop hurting. And then this next verse is so interesting because in my mind, which I could be wrong, in my mind, he kind of qualified. He brings everything to a qualification, qualifying point right here. And he says, and, and, and basically he says, what I'm doing is I'm proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee, it doesn't matter in the year of Jubilee. It doesn't matter why you owe a debt. It doesn't matter if your mama got sick and, you know, you were you were hiring doctors and it was all legitimate. It was act of love and compassion. And you ended up losing your your inheritance because, because this is this is key. Forgiving debts doesn't just mean the debt has gone away. It means the inheritance, the land, the family land that you sold comes back to you. Mm -hmm. mm. And. And so, and so it doesn't matter if you got in trouble because you were a foe. It doesn't matter if you got in trouble because you were wicked. It doesn't matter if you got, if you ended up there because, uh, you know, because there was a, a natural emergency in the family. He says, I'm going to take you through this process. I'm going to open the eyes of your heart. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I, I am going to uh, get you a writ of the debt paid. You know, it says that the debt is paid. I am going to, I'm going to open up all the bruises and hurts and pains in your life that got you here. And he says, because, because this is the year of Jubilee, because in me, there is not a partial redemption. There's not a partial forgiveness. There, it is absolute forgiveness and and everything's paid. Now, I, I'm before we get right back to the subject, you, you notice that if you go and read this in Isaiah 61, that sentence doesn't stop there. Hmm. Proclaim the, year of the second half of that sentence in Isaiah 61 says, and proclaim what is the year or the day of the Lord's vengeance. Ah, right. right. So you think, well, wait a minute. Yeah, that why did from? he leave that out? Well, I'll tell you why. Is because see, remember, in the next verse, verse twenty, it says he closes the book, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all of them and the synagogue were fixed on him. So, so I'm not going to go into all of these other scriptures, which are actually in phenomenally powerful, explaining some things that happened here. But you see, all the way to this sentence, 
he was explaining what's going to happen while he's here. He's fulfilled this today. In my first coming, this is what I'm here to do. But in my second coming, I'm going to proclaim the day of the Lord's vengeance. That's when the wicked wickedness comes to an end. And so he's making a distinction between him coming the first time and being the suffering Savior and when he comes the next time to put an end to the Antichrist and the wickedness and the corruption on planet Earth. I think that's incredibly cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. So good. So now. So here's the question that I would beg to ask. All of the people who are afraid that if the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll jump around like a chicken and, you know, start rolling in the aisle and, you know, swinging on the chandelier and all that kind of stuff. Wait a minute. You don't find any of that stuff in the Bible. So that is just pure emotionalism. That's all. Uh, but Jesus says, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to be trying to lead you to do. So maybe next week we might get into being led by the Spirit and how that factors in here. I love that. I love that direction. So my question is this, how is this offensive? Right. You know, what about this is embarrassing? <laughs> Nothing. It's all, it's uh, all back to my, one of my favorite words, freedom. Unless... Yeah. Unless you are embarrassed by the gospel, unless right. you're ashamed of Jesus, and are probably, you know, most of the people that listen to this broadcast are, are really people who are seriously pursuing God. But maybe here's mm -hmm. what it really is that you're afraid of. You're afraid you will try to do something and nothing will happen. And you'll be mm -hmm. left standing there with egg on your face because you tried to be a doer of the word and the Holy Spirit didn't show up and help you and manifest mm. it. Mm. So next week, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about being led by the Spirit. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, that, that, again, we really invite you just to continue the journey with us. Yes. And uh, being led by the Spirit is very, very real. And I know that, you know, just as you're hearing, the, you know, the podcast today, just recognize how the Holy Spirit is, has come alongside is, and is working within you and is really desiring to lead you to a place of healing and wholeness. You know, yeah. He wants to heal your broken heart yeah. and, and enlarge your capacity then to move into this place of complete trust in him. Yes. And now with without effort, I walk in his leading yep. and his guidance. Yep. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They are mm -hmm. like the tree planted by the streams of water. That's right. Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe between now and next week, you might just go back and read this verse several mm -hmm. times. Yes. And you might just bring yourself to the decision. Do I want the Holy Spirit? I mean, you got to make mind because you may not want it. And ain't nobody going to hear you, but you and God. You're not going to say this in front of us. You're not going to say this in front of your pastor. You're not gonna say, but maybe it's time if you go and read a scripture like the, uh, this scripture specifically and just say, do I actually want to let the Spirit of God work through me like this in other people's lives? And just make a decision. You know what? If you don't want it, the only option, you you got two options. Harden your heart and just shut down. 
and just close God out. But that means he can't lead you in ways to help you too. It means it may, when you should, you know, when you shut him out, you just shut him out. You can't hear him at all. But maybe that might be where you go, God, you know what? There's a part of me that is excited by this. There's a part of me that would sort of want this, but don't really want it. But I want you, I will not resist it as you move me to the place where I will let the Holy Spirit do this. In other words, I'm willing to be made to be willing. <laughs> yes. There we go. Wow. There we go. Did that, talked about that. Love you guys. Mm -hmm. Love you all. Love you yes. too. By the way, Love you, Bob. They, can get, they can get the uh, series of the Spirit and the Power through Live Transformed. And yeah, uh, uh, if you want to do some, that, that's about 60 hours of, of teaching. Wow, okay. that is amazing. Good. And just another reminder, UI, the new Ultimate Impact season is starting February 5th. February 5th. So make sure to jump on that train. And enjoy the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. the, um, yeah, great. All right, great. everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining and us. Thank we you, love Jim. you so much. Bye bye.